time. All right, so I hit the recording button while you weren't looking. Okay. So now we're recording. This is episode one. Uh, Welcome. Sequelitis. Welcome to Sequelitis. All right, I'm ready. Okay, so if you haven't listened to episode zero and heard about what Sequelitis is... Wait, no, we already did that. We just get into the content now. (laughs) (laughs) But we do want to give kind of a brief introduction. Basically, what we do is we talk about unnecessary sequels to beloved originals. And how to fix them. Yeah, exactly. And like prime examples of that, Ghostbusters 2, Back to the Future 2, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And we focus on 80s and 90s like summer effects films. And that's that's what we're going to start off with. And And then we'll graduate to something better. As it grows, we'll see what happens with it. But hopefully you enjoy this. We are going to start off by talking about Back to the Future 2. Yeah, now Back to the Future 2 is a movie that I have always had big problems with. Some people say that they like it better than 1, or they like it better than 3. Which is ridiculous. Which is ridiculous, because it's definitely the worst one in the whole trilogy. People that think they like it better than the original Back to the Future, whether or not it's better than Back to the Future 3, doesn't matter, because I think they're both crap films. And I want to go over some of the big problems just to sort of put them out on Front Street. These, this is what's wrong with Back to the Future 2. Can we yeah, do that? Yeah, and before we get into that, just to give some real quick context, it just recently was Back to the Future week. All the movies now, to us, are taking place, well, to anybody that's listening to this the movies have all taken place in the past because we just recently passed october 21st 2015 right and so now is as good a time as any to go back and look at the uh, film franchise but specifically back to the future 2 because that's the only film where they travel to 2015 Okay. One of the things that they do that I don't totally hate, but it is, we are going to talk about it a lot, is the whole Marty chicken thing. That comes in in number two and plays out in number three. Marty's a chicken. Don't call me chicken. That's something that I I wouldn't say that I hate, but we are going to change it and we are going to do something different with that with our pitch. I mean, change it or maybe just outright get rid of it because, yeah, it's kind of a ridiculous plot contrivance to where when these magic words are said, Marty has to react. Right. It's like his, it's like his asshole button. Like they just push this button. He becomes an asshole. That's one of the issues that we have with it. My major issue with Back to the Future 2 is the fact that both the beginning and the latter third of the movie basically replay the first movie. The first part more successfully than the second part, I think. Yeah, well the first part, they basically recreated the ending to Back to the Future 1 and then we just basically, I like to joke that Back to the Future 2 the only way they could have been lazier with the story that they came up with is if essentially what happens is Marty and Doc just watch a VHS of Back to the Future 1 and that's the rest of the story of Back to the Future 2. Because that's essentially what they do. They replay all the same footage. All right. And in the DVD age that we kind of came up in, it was especially annoying because you could watch one and then you could watch two immediately right after and see that so many of the shots are the same. And that's annoying as a movie fan because it feels lazy. It also gives you a clue of how Robert Zemeckis thought of Forrest Gump though. Because the idea of going into one movie where they've got the set footage and like all you have to do is shoot footage that kind of matches that footage and it'll all play together. That's kind of what they did with like the old timey footage in Forrest Gump. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. At the time, it was something that was real incredible because computer graphics hadn't you know advanced to the point to where you could just stick two people together even though they didn't coexist. But now it's something that's dated and it's silly, it's contrived. We've seen it so many times. That's one of the really big issues with Back to the Future, especially now that we live in the future that Back to the Future visited, Yeah, that it just doesn't hold up, in my opinion. Right, so another issue that I have is I like the future until Griff crashes into the, the courthouse. That moment and everything after that moment in the future, I think, goes for sure. It's the worst part of Back to the Future 2. The courthouse and then the old Marty and the Michael J. Fox as the daughter, Michael J. Fox as the son, George McFly upside down in the kitchen. And there's so many All ridiculous that stuff issues because... Of course, a movie, like, this happened a lot in the 80s and 90s. Is any movie that took place in the future, they felt like they had to show, like, what were going to be all the cool new devices that we have in the future. A lot of times it was just blatantly ridiculous. The best example of that, I think, is uh, Demolition Man, (laughs) when they go into the future. (laughs) (laughs) For our alternate version of Back to the Future 2, where instead of just Biff is just purely evil, that's something that we try to avoid. Yes, Biff is a bad guy, but is Biff just pure evil? That's kind of silly. All right, so, and also the, the alternate 1985 where Biff is in charge, there's things about that that I like. 
but ultimately I'd want to change it a lot if I was remaking it. Just to kind of jump into things, one of the things that I thought worked for the original Back to the Future 2 that I don't think they used enough was that the timeline gets altered and they're just kind of thrust into it and they've got to figure out how did the timeline get altered and how do we fix all of this. This is for your new pitch, right? Yeah, and I think that's that's really what Back to the Future 2 should have been, been about from the jump. Well, so start from the beginning. You, okay. you have a fully realized idea. So it starts off, let's talk about a second at the end of Back to the Future 1. They do show Doc coming back from the future. He grabs Marty, he grabs Jennifer, and he says... It's your kids. We gotta go to the future. Something's gotta be done about your kids, Marty. Which I've got to say, that's one of the that's that's one of the very few things that I hate about the first movie. And part of it is because it's something that I, I don't think was part of the original story when they sat out to shoot the movie. It's something that they just kind of added on because they did have to have some reference to them going into the future. Because really, if you think about it, Doc's philosophy when it comes to time travel and informing the past version of future events, it goes completely against Doc and his prime directive, his time travel prime directive. And so in my pitch, Back to the Future 2 started off right where Back to the Future 1 ended, replaying that whole sequence of events. The only thing that they did different was they showed this image of Biff witnessing the DeLorean taking off. Yeah. Now do we um, keep that or do we lose that? Now here's the thing. Yeah. We do have the freedom to take things that work in the original Back to the Future 2. Yeah and incorporate them into this story. Do we version. have an obligation to do that or the no, freedom to do No, we it? can do, we have the freedom to do or not do that, but we don't have an obligation to keep anything. However, I did decide to keep that because I think that's a great way to set up the events of this alternate version of Back to the Future 2, the sequelitis version of Back to the Future 2. We start off right where Back to the Future 1 left off. They all jump into the DeLorean. Well, can I pitch your idea and you tell me if I have it right or wrong just so I can get involved in this conversation? Yeah, certainly, certainly. So your idea... And I like it, and we agree. There's certain things we agree on. I, I want to say it was my initial idea that might have got this thing started, because I was talking about how it'd be more fun if Doc just woke up in an alternate timeline and didn't know how he got there, and it was kind of like a detective story. Exactly. And that we got talked us about this being thinking. a mystery. Yeah. And that got us both thinking about what an exciting sequel Back to the Future 2 could be. So how do we get Doc Brown waking up in an alternate timeline? So we came up with this idea that he's working on a future invention. He's done the time machine. It's a few years later. Okay, so how do we get rid of the Marty's kids thing? We show them returning from the adventure with Marty's kids, and they're just kind of like, boy, that was tough. Wow, we did it. I can't believe we did it. And they just, and then they bury it. They never yeah, mention it again. We gloss over it. We gloss over it in like a, in a scene, in a moment. Then we cut to a few years later. Like, let's say four or five years later, because that's when they actually shot it. It was 1989, 1990. Even though they put it in 1985, it's really... From 1990 and we can keep this or not keep it but I think we could keep it and it wouldn't change anything but whatever so a few years later Doc has had the time and he has built a new invention and it is a it opens a portal in space-time but he's not sure exactly what it does well, we don't really even get into the science of it. Basically, it's the same way that they first showed the time machine. Essentially, what Doc has done is he's created a portal that he can step into and then cross out and come out of another place. We just show enough to kind of explain that's what it is. Yeah. Continue okay. on. Yeah, so he's created this. So the Doc that we know that created the time machine, now in the second movie, he's working on his second invention, which is also science fiction-y but it's not the exact same thing. It's a portal machine. So while he's operating his portal machine during a test, he comes back from his test to realize that he is in an alternate version of 1985 or of 1990. I would say altered rather than alternate. Um, an altered the, the, version. The timeline has been altered. Could it work as 1989 or 1990 and he's had years to do this or do you not like that idea and you want to keep it 85? Well, the reason why I kept it 1985 was that we get a glimpse of Biff observing the time machine lifting off into the air, disappearing, and then instantaneously returning. So it disappears for about a second, and then it immediately comes back. Because the thing is, is they travel to 2015. They could spend weeks there, but they would always return one second after they left. That's just the way that the time travel would work. Well, except for the fact that that would give you time traveling jet lag, because you haven't slept. <laughs> well, you've also aged. 
peace for all that time that you right. spent there. That's so why it would make sense to come, come back. You come back one second later, but you're a little bit older. That's why it would make sense to come back a week later or however much time you spend in a different place. You come back that many hours later. No, that would be an issue because then people would start, you'd be missing, you'd be a missing person. And so people would start to investigate. And the whole thing is Doc is supposed to be keeping this under wraps. However, Doc made a major mistake by taking off in broad daylight. Biff witnesses him taking off in the DeLorean. So Biff decides to follow Doc back to his lab. And he realizes that he has this super powerful DeLorean. Biff has no idea what it's capable of doing. Oh, He just knows that it's it looks badass, it's science fiction-y, it's something that Biff wants. Biff desires power. Can I expand on one moment that, you, that we kind of glossed over that I think is important? Okay. The moment where Doc is doing his experiment. Let's say we could do the experiment any number of ways, but let's just imagine that he's turning on the portal, he's jiggering with it, he's got a screwdriver at it, it's on, and then he hears his time machine being broken into. No, 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 you can't, you can't do that at all. The way that I envisioned the scene was that it's this kind of like cutesy little scene where Doc's at home, he starts messing with one of his, his latest inventions, he's got a new experiment he's working on, and what he's doing is he turns on the portal, lets it warm up, then he goes over to Einstein the dog, okay? Yeah. Takes a little helmet with a camera strap to it, puts it on Einstein, and instructs Einstein to sit. Because what Einstein's gonna do is he's gonna record the experiment for him. Uh -huh. okay. Kind of the way Marty was holding the camera in the first movie when they first tested out the DeLorean. Right. The way that I have the scene envisioned is Doc sets all this up and he's like, I'm Doc Emmett Brown. It's uh, 10.54 p.m. on uh, Wednesday, whatever the date is. Yeah. And then he steps into the portal mm -hmm. and then he steps back through the portal. Only this time when he steps back through the portal, he steps into a completely different world. Uh, Einstein is not there. There's no portal. There's n His lab's not there. None of his equipment, anything. He steps into basically an abandoned building, okay? and it's dark and everything else like that, right away, Doc's disoriented. And this all happens like very instantaneously. Okay. And that's so a, that's now- That's very different than how I was imagining it. Doc is, is is in this world and he's got to figure out what just happened to himself. Okay, well let's let's realign with some of the, the other facts that we had talked about. That, this seems disaligned. This is the same Doc that made the time machine and now he made a portal. And we're in 1985, it's after the error of the time machine, now it's the error of like, Doc is working on a different experiment and it's the dimensional portal. Doc is a consummate workaholic. He's married to science. Yeah. So you know, he's, he's been a bachelor his whole life. We, we see right. that. He's he's the same lonely guy in 1955 that he is in 1985. Right, okay, I guess he's that, got, yeah. He's got Marty McFly, and Einstein the dog, those are the two people in his life. Outside of that, there are the Iranians who are trying to kill him because he screwed them over on the plutonium deal. <laughs> so, no, I made up a fake bomb made of <laughs> pinball machine parts, Marty! <laughs> Which is, that's great stuff that works in the first film that, that is lacking in the second film. So Okay, so he's, he's working on a new experiment. It's a portal. He turns the portal on in some kind of test, and in that moment, someone steals his yeah, we actually DeLorean see, time we, machine. While he's setting up the camera with Einstein and everything, we see from for a moment the perspective of the camera recording Doc Brown, and we can see through his window, we watch the DeLorean drive away. And he d doesn't know it's going he, on. He has yeah. no idea yeah. that, that that just <laughs> happened. And so he is temporally protected because he turns on his portal. Mm-hmm. And he's, I, I like the idea that he's not even stepping through it. He's just standing so close to it and it's on and that protects him. And that, that's for me, that's all I need. As yeah. Because I, I know about science. I know about engineering. I know about fake time travel movies. And like, that's enough. If he turns on this portal and he's like, I wonder if standing this close to it God, we could be affected by the portal, right? You know, and he's like having a whole speech about it while he's standing right there. <laughs> well, I don't think we need to have that because then people will be like, well, wait, what is he, what is he like, uh, why is he protected and why isn't Einstein protected? But, you know, that's just, Einstein's a little bit further away. Well, I mean, Einstein could be protected. It wouldn't bother me. No, because then you have to sit there and you have to deal with the movie and have Einstein and everything else like that. And if he goes from Einstein being there, he steps through the portal, comes out, Einstein's gone. Then you have a wonderful moment at the end of the movie when he's reunited with Einstein. Okay, what about this? He turns the camera on and Einstein's recording him, but then when he changes universes, he can play back the tape and the tape is now different and he's seeing into the other reality. So he's gaining... He doesn't have the tape. All of that ceased to exist well, once he steps through the portal. Because here's the thing, here's how it works. Yeah. And I know this is incredibly convenient, 
but it's fine because we're making a movie when we're fantasy making a movie yeah. so we can have all these coincidental things work in our favor copy that the second he steps through the portal is the exact second that someone whoever it was that took the DeLorean which is Biff alters the timeline yeah well that much I agree with but what I'm saying is what I'm trying to pitch you I guess is that the timeline that he returns to instead of being an empty warehouse I'm just telling you that I don't think we need any of that okay we don't have to have that but the thing is he has to step through the portal and as he emerges on the other side Einstein and everything that he's familiar with his lab all of that stuff is gone well, what if Einstein is gone, but there's still a dog there with a camera on his head, and it's a different dog? And so that's a sign that we know that, whoa, something's different. Wait, you just gave me a great idea. Okay, so this is how we get a feel for the world that he's just stepped into. You're clapping so he, now. <laughs> <laughs> he steps through the portal. Yeah. Einstein is sitting there recording him like a good dog. Yeah. And when he comes out the other side, there's no Einstein, and he sees a security camera recording him because there's constant surveillance in this dystopian time that he's walked into yeah okay i'm with that but if it was a dog what would be funny about that would be that he could take the tape and he could replay it and it would be a lot like that scene from the first movie where they're re-watching the tape but instead of being an event that we saw it's an event that we never saw because it's tape of the other reality so now we're gaining information about the other reality that he's in that he doesn't have you're convoluting things in a way that's completely unnecessary but it's not i'll say how it's not convoluted it's a thing though is are you saying there's a dog that has a video camera on his head? It's just a different dog? Yeah. And that makes no sense. Well, here's how it makes sense. Because Doc Brown is still an inventor in this alternate version of this world. He's still an inventor. But instead of being this super powerful military guy, he is just a guy who's still doing time travel, but he is making it as a portal instead of as a what military. If, okay, what if... Okay, we, we, we merge your idea and my idea. This is what I'm trying so, to do, yeah. He steps through, and there's a camera recording him, which is on top of a dog. Yes. But instead of there being security cameras that are just placed on, on posts, sort of the way that we have now, yeah. you'll have random security cameras. They put security cameras on trained military dogs that just wander around the city to keep <laughs> surveillance on citizens. Okay? So he sees that, and it's very disorienting, and you get that classic kind of Back to the Future music where it's like, dun dun. Dun, dun. And he's looking around and he realizes the world's different. He's not in his lab. He's in Hill Valley, 1985. But it's a different Hill Valley. Even though it's a different Hill Valley, I think his lab should still be his lab. No, his lab wouldn't be his lab because he doesn't exist in this time period. There's a different version of him that exists in this time period. What if he has replaced that version? See, the thing he is, is you, have to, you have to thrust him into the middle of a mystery that he has to figure out. See, what yeah. we're doing here is the first film was Marty's film. This film is going to be Doc's film. Marty went on an adventure in the first film that Doc helped him with. In this film, Doc is going to go on an adventure that Marty's going to help I'm him with. I'm trying to give our version of Doc his first clue. You haven't given him any clues, but I'm all I'm trying to do is introduce a clue. No, I have given him a clue. He realizes instantly that the world is different. He realizes it's differently because of a security camera. Okay, but how does the audience fully realize what world we're in? In the same way that in Back to the Future 1, when Marty goes into 1955, he realizes like his neighborhood hasn't even been built yet. You know, that the town exists, but it's a past version of the town. So a lot of the things that he's accustomed to don't exist yet. Whereas Doc is stepping into... 1985 Hill Valley, which he just left, but the difference is things have gone differently from 1955 to 1985 that have changed the world in a way that he instantly starts to take in. There's yeah. more of a military kind of big brother presence in the town. It's more of a dystopian, in the same way that after Biff altered the timeline in the original Back to the Future 2, and when they went back to 1985, they noticed it was a different 1985 than when they left. That's exactly what happens here. Yeah, I get that. Only we don't make it night. It's not casinos and bikers, you know. You yeah. know what, what did people fear the most in the 1990s? Oh, uh, bikers and yeah, I'm just, casinos I'm just, running I'm just kind of mourning the loss of some of the stuff I was talking about. Because what I was talking about I thought was going to be really fun stuff, and I just feel like we're losing so much of it. But that's fine. I'm fine with that. So he is in this alternate 1985, and then he goes and he catches up with Marty. Yeah, so the first thing he sets out to do is to go and find Marty. Yeah. Doc goes through this portal. He comes out the other side. The world is suddenly drastically changed. He right. has to figure out what just happened. Because his lab is gone. The yeah. time machine is gone. Everything that's familiar to him, Einstein, is all gone. All right, so is Hill that... Valley still exists. Okay. Marty McFly still exists. 
And when he goes and he and he searches out Marty McFly, Marty McFly doesn't okay, recognize uh, Doc now, Brown. You keep talking about advancing, so advance to the next thing that you're trying to talk about. That's what I'm trying to do. Go ahead. So Doc goes and finds Marty, and he's trying to talk to Marty like he and Marty are friends. Marty, something's gone wrong. Marty's like, I don't know who you are, old man. Yeah. You know, and you have this whole thing. So Doc realizes that Marty doesn't recognize him. Got that. And so he is trying to piece things together. But Doc has to be in the state of disorientation in the same way that the audience is. Because the audience is experiencing these events in this world through the character of Doc Brown. Yeah. So now Marty McFly doesn't know Doc Brown. Right. And Doc Brown is in this totally different world. What Doc ends up doing is try and, and convince Marty that they know each other, that they're friends, because he needs Marty to help him solve this whole mystery. In the process of this, Marty gets freaked out, and he flags down this cop, and he's like, this old man, he's, he's bothering me and everything else like that. And that's when the <laughs> cop points out to him, he's like, that old man over there, that's Doc Brown, the, the famous military scientist. He's part of the reason why our town is on the map. What they end up finding out, there's this whole, kind of the same way that there was the clock tower story in the first movie mm -hmm. in this movie there's this whole story of a lot of people believe in the 1950s in 1955 to be exact there's a ufo that was shot down by the military over the skies of hill valley right and so <laughs> sort of in the same way okay. that we have the whole roswell like they shot down a ufo and there's all conspiracies around that like that's sort of the the construct of this world that they're in Okay. Because what happened was the person who stole the DeLorean took it to 1955. Once it went into 1955, that permanently altered events for But he has to go to forward. the future first so that we can go to the future to stop And we're going to get to that. He has to go there before he goes to the past. Okay, but we're going to get to that. Okay. Doc learns that a UFO was supposedly shot down over Hill Valley. And then all yeah. the townspeople believe that the military recovered it. And now there's this big military research facility that's been built in the town, and the whole town has basically been shaped by this. Right. And when they look at people's artistic renderings of what this spacecraft looked like, it's the DeLorean. Yes. And only they recognize it, but no one else does. They're like, that's well, our DeLorean. No, it's not, that's our DeLorean. Oh, that's yeah. Doc saying, that's my DeLorean, and realizing that Marty doesn't remember it because he okay. didn't go experience any of the events of Back to the Future. Okay, so, and then, but this is going to create that paradox that we had briefly mentioned about how now we're with a Marty that's going to be erased from time and history. And then we're going to get to that, okay? We'll get to that. One of the other things that they discover, or Doc actually discovers, because this is something that Marty already knew because he grew up in this world, Biff Tannen is now the all-powerful sheriff of the town, that we get a little bit of this version of Marty's backstory. We learn that this is a very militaristic version of the U.S. and that the draft is a part of everybody's life, that George McFly was drafted into the military, that he has since died, that Marty has grown up fatherless, so we have a slightly different Marty McFly than we did in the first Back to the Future movie. So the military is a huge presence in the town of Hill Valley. They have a huge military complex. This is all because, as our characters come to learn, in 1955, there was a DeLorean that was flying over Hill Valley that was shot down by the military because they thought it was a UFO that was there to attack the residents. And so that was Biff from 1985. Biff manages to evade capture, but the military seizes the DeLorean. And so from 1955 on, they are reverse engineering the technology of this DeLorean, which they think is an alien spacecraft. And they have now used that to create these advances. They have technology that was from basically 60 years in the future because this is the flying DeLorean with the Mr. Fusion on the back of it. The military scientists have been breaking this down ever since, which is why the world is so drastically different than it was before Doc stepped into the time portal. Not the time portal, but just the portal portal. So I'm going to ask you one of these questions I feel like needs answering, but it does make your head hurt a little bit. Okay. But how does Biff become the all-powerful sheriff if he, a 1985 version of himself, is stuck back in 1955? How does all that work? Because there's more than one Biff. Right. Now, the new Biff that becomes the all-powerful sheriff, how does the old Biff's actions help the young Biff? Well, that's something that we really don't spend a lot of time on because, honestly, it's not necessary to really get into that. Because they don't explain, like, how it is that, that Biff goes from somebody who lords power over George McFly in the first movie to where, by the end of the movie, now George McFly lords power over that Biff. 
you just realize that people have changed places because things have affected the timeline that have altered people's position and everything else like that. So that's sort of what's happened here. Future Biff helped past Biff by giving him the knowledge that he had. 1985 Biff used all of his knowledge to help 1955 Biff. Okay, I got something. 1985 Biff is the Tom Wilson in like the older makeup, but not the grandpa makeup. From the original Back to the Future where he's a little bit older. It's that 1985's Biff. Now, he's the one that goes back to 1955. He gets captured by the military in 1955 and he's locked up. Now he's 30 years older because now time has caught up to him, literally. So now it's 1985 again, but now he's the age of grandpa Biff and they go looking for him and he's locked up in a cell somewhere. And we, we're kind Kind of putting to bed the whole like super evil old Biff thing and now Doc doesn't have to like time punish him or anything he's been punished by the military all Doc has to do is go break him out of jail and and get his help to fix everything and old Biff will, will play ball. The storyline that I created for Biff was that Biff goes back 1985 Biff goes back to 1955. At that point, he's a middle-aged middle Biff. He's encountering his teenage self. He helps himself. Young Biff, 1955 Biff, ascend to power and to really start to take control of things both from a police standpoint and from a political standpoint in Hill Valley. And once that Biff achieves a certain level of power, he realizes that 1985 Biff is no longer of any use to him. So he essentially discards this Biff. So Biff becomes a victim of his own ambition for power. I like that. Because it's not that Biff is evil, it's just that Biff is insecure and he wants to achieve a certain level of power that he can hold over people. And through his own ambition, he ends up screwing himself over. So he gets trapped. So Biff, in his middle ages, gets trapped in 1955. And so by the time Doc and Marty in this alternate 1985 run into that Biff, this Biff is now 30 years older. So now we're talking about a Biff in his mid-70s. And this Biff, rather than having him locked up, what we learn about is kind of creepy hermit Biff that lives alone somewhere out in the woods or whatever. So they go and they seek out that Biff because at this point, Doc is trying to investigate how it was that the timeline was altered and how he can go about correcting everything. So he talks to this Biff and that's when Biff kind of gives him his whole story of, I went back and I tried to help myself, but I was a real butthead and everything else like that. So now, <laughs> so now Doc and Marty realize they've got to go to the military research facility mm. where the remnants of the DeLorean is being kept. Because their hope is that if they can recover the DeLorean, they can travel to the right time period in order to straighten everything out. What they end up learning is that once they get to the military facility, they're trying to figure out how they're going to break into it. Instead, they find out that everyone assumes that this Doc Brown is the Doc Brown of that timeline who works at the military facility. He's like the lead research scientist. Once they catch on to this, Doc tells them, hey, this young man right here is one of my sort of intern scholars. We're gonna give him a, a tour of the facility. I need." you guys to lead him around, give him a tour and show him everything. So that makes everything convenient because now we have someone taking them through and going like, well, yeah. this is this here and this is super top secret. Right. This is the spacecraft that we recovered and instantly we see the flying DeLorean that has been damaged because it was shot down and some of its parts have been removed and everything, but they basically preserved the rest of the DeLorean. So then they see that and that's the moment Doc realizes that the flux capacitor has been damaged and he cannot use this DeLorean to do any sort of time traveling. Well, this is where things start to get crazy and we kick things into 11th gear. Right. Because now we realize there are two docks that are existing simultaneously in this moment in time. The flux capacitor is broken. That's what I was trying to say earlier. Yeah, the flux capacitor. The first capacitor. one, the plutonium was out, and the third one, the gasoline was out, and this one, the flux capacitor is out. Yes. And they're trying to work with what they have to make the flux capacitor work again, which is alternate 1985 Doc's portal technology that he's developed. Yeah. 
which is what we're going to learn. Yeah. So Doc goes to his research facility, but then we have this whole moment of confusion when alternate 1985 Doc shows up at the research facility because he's been out on, a, on his lunch break, and now all of a sudden people are like, hey, wait a minute, you were just here with a young man, and Doc, that Doc is like, I don't know what you're talking about. So then they realize there's an imposter there. Meanwhile, yeah. our Marty and Doc, they're in the middle of Doc's research facility. That Doc starts thinking, how would I I think if I were this person and I was in this environment and that's when he realizes he has figured out how to create time travel technology but what he did is he created it in a portal rather than putting it into a, a transportable craft yeah, yeah a car yeah everyone starts kind of converging and trying to capture this Marty and Doc who they realize are imposter at least that's what they think Doc is able to fire it up and transport them into the moment in 2015 that he knows Biff traveled to so that way he can go about correcting all of the things that went wrong. Now, the idea that I had, you figured out that that wouldn't work, and why don't you go ahead and take over and explain. Well, okay, I'm, I'm glad that I have gotten through on a few of my issues. And this one is the fact that, and I just want to mention briefly that one thing that we don't like about number two is they go back into the very first movie. They go back to 1955, they go back to the first movie, we want to avoid that. And we want to go into the future. And they even have a diagram in number two where they sort of illustrate how you can't go to the future to fix the past. Well, we acknowledge that, but we travel to the future first to see for ourselves that it's an alternate 2015. We show, we don't just tell. Yeah, so we go there because we can't go to the past. Because with the time travel portal that alternate 1985 Doc made doesn't go back in time. So going back in time is not an option for the technology that they have. Their only chance is to go into the future. We've got to go back to the future. Right. <laughs> so they've got to go back to the future. When they get there, that's when Doc Emmett Brown comes up with the idea to get a hold of alternate 2015 Doc Brown. And you had a great way that, that he was going to say this. There's only one man that can help me. <laughs> but he's like, who's that, Doc? <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we're in this future. What has happened is there was a dystopian 1985 that they were just in. It's not anything like like they have in the original Back to the Future 2. It, it's a world that looks pretty similar to the 1985 Hill Valley that we've come to know. But there's enough changes to where you realize like this is not like a good direction that mankind is moving in. By the time we jump ahead 30 more years into 2015, it's an even bleaker, more dystopian world that we're in, right? So in our fantasy version, someone from... Because uh, we're in real 2015 now, so we have the advantage of knowing what skateboarding was in 1985 and now what is the new cool thing. It doesn't now. matter, though. We're making this in 1990, so that way we can still have 1990 Christopher Lloyd, 1990 Michael J. Fox, no, I know, I know. Thomas Wilson. Thomas Wilson. So we still have all those. I got you, I got you. So they jump into 2015. Yeah. They go and they look for that, that alternate futures version of Doc Brown. Right. So now you've got Doc Brown from 1985 talking to Doc Brown, who he escaped from in the alternate 1985 that he's now confronting in 2015. Yeah. Of course, you have this whole moment where they both look at each other and they're like, Great Scott! You have some exposition where, like, Doc Brown starts explaining to himself, you know, what happened, the predicament that they're in. You have 2015 Doc Brown start to explain how he never quite figured out time travel in the way that it would allow people to travel to a point in the past or the future and get back to their original moment in time. All they could do was send someone to a certain point and they could never bring them back from in that. the future. Whereas the whole thing that 1985 Doc Brown was working at at the start of this movie was the portal technology, which the alternate version of Doc Brown had perfected, but he hadn't perfected the time travel part of it in order to take someone to a point and bring them back. I remember how the flux capacitor is like a triangle. Mm -hmm. Like, what if alternate 1985 or 2015 has just one like connector instead of two connectors? So like that represents like forward and back in time. And like Doc is sort of explaining it, like you're missing this part of the flux capacitor, the part that lets you go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there could be a dialogue back and forth between them and everything else like that. So what we end up having is Doc Brown explains to alternate 2015 Doc Brown what has happened. They're trying to figure out a solution because, as you were explaining, there's no way that they could travel to that 2015 that Biff traveled to 
before he went back to 1955 right. and thus permanently altered the timeline. So the two docks can join. The dock that made the DeLorean and the dock that made the portal technology. And they work together to make one version of a time machine that lets you stay in the same time that you're in but shift to a different timeline. Right. And they shift over to the one where Biff comes into the future and the way that this works, it's explained as there's a time aura around 1985 original Doc Brown. <laughs> It's a 2015, it's like, what we have to do is we have to identify the time aura that's surrounding you. And then we can use that and we can send you back into the future that you are supposed to go to from your original timeline. No, so they do no, this thing where they bounce that. them around and they bounce them into the 2015 that Biff Tannen has gone into. So what we end up having is this moment where they go into 2015 where Doc, Jennifer, and Marty had traveled to at the end of Back to the Future 1. They catch them going back to 1985. Seconds later, that's when Biff arrives. So now we're setting up for a whole dramatic Act 3 showdown between Marty, Doc, and Biff. Because now all the stakes are on the line. If they don't manage to stop Biff from traveling back to 1955 and permanently altering the timeline, they will be stuck there forever. They will be stuck in a 2015 where they can't escape. Basically, they're going to be redundancies of themselves. Right. And so now we're trying to make them solve a mystery that we haven't quite put together ourselves yet. Is that sort of right? Well, no. At this point, we figured out what the mystery was. We figured out how the timeline was altered because Biff stole Doc's time machine. What he did is he took the DeLorean out because he didn't realize it was a time machine. So he takes the DeLorean out, starts hot riding it. It gets up to 88 miles per hour. And bam, all of a sudden he jumps to the same point that Doc, Jennifer, and Marty had left in 2015 to go back to 1985. Right. That's why they but disappear for one second, and then the next second, here comes That's uh, what Biff. we don't know, is we don't know what he does in 2015, we don't know exactly when he went back to 1955, and we don't know how he empowers young Biff. All those no, things but, we haven't figured out yet, and that's what we're doing right now. No, we, we've essentially figured out most of those things because we talked to 1985 Biff, Mm -hmm. who had traveled to 2015, then went back to 1955, and then has been living since 1955 through this alternate timeline that he caused a change by bringing the DeLorean and getting it into the wrong hands of this he, movie. He's imprisoned there in the military base? No, he's not imprisoned. No, I like this idea. Let me pitch this to you. Okay. So when they go to the military base, that's where they see the DeLorean that's beat up. And while they're in that same place, they learn kind of like in Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi, like there's a prisoner and it's somebody that is important to this. And when they go, it's old Biff who's been locked up for 30 years. And now he's going to be complacent and compliant because he's been in jail for 30 years. And all these changes that he made, he's, he sees the ramification. But of how is that different than what I just pitched, which was that... It's the uh, same. I'm agreeing with Once you. Once 1955 Biff realized he no longer had any use for 1985 Biff, he discarded him. So then he went off this and he became a hermit. This is me agreeing with you. Where they find him I'm saying if he prison. gets locked up in the military prison, that means he can never have any influence over his 1955 self. Well, he already had it. We just haven't seen it. No, he didn't he have did. it. He could have. No, because if he was captured by the military, that means he was captured with the DeLorean. What I'm saying is the DeLorean crashes. He realizes he's in big trouble, so he runs off. And he runs to his childhood home. Well, he finds himself. He influences himself. And then his 1955 self takes advantage of the 1985 self and discards him when he's no longer useful well, let me to pitch him. how my version would make sense Go and then it. if you don't like it then we can throw it out but this is the idea he goes 1985 Biff goes back to 1955 I don't exactly have it figured out yet how he empowers 1955 Biff I'll get to that in a second he has knowledge that nobody else has which is power so let's say he empowers 1955 Biff before we get too far into that I purposely chose not to do the whole sports Almanac storyline because yeah. that's just silly. I say we do a variation on it that's smarter, but it's somehow reminiscent of it. Okay, I'm open to that. Remember, we can't reminisce on a movie that we are retconning out of existence. No, but we there are certain things that we can keep whatever we want. Right. This is me keeping an element of it that I do find enjoyable. And he goes back, he empowers 1955 Biff, similar to the way that he does it in number two. Because that is a part that I do like. I do like where old Biff is like, butthead, listen to me. You gotta take this, you gotta do this. I like that whole scene. I don't like the fact that it's a sports almanac. I don't like what happens with the sports almanac. But there's something about old Biff talking to young Biff. How do you know how to stop my car, old man? Like that whole bit that I like. Okay, so he goes back, he empowers Biff. Old Biff is getting back in his DeLorean. He's about to go back to his timeline 
when young Biff pulls a switcheroo on him. Now empowered young Biff from 1955, just from the little bit of influence that he's had with the future and the little bit of power that he's gained, he has called the military in to shoot down the DeLorean on its way out. Somehow he's able to start playing the future from that moment. So we give old Biff enough time to mess with young Biff for a while and then right as old Biff is leaving and he's about to go home, that's when young Biff switches the script on him shoots down the DeLorean, locks him up, and takes power. That's my pitch. The only thing about that, there would be a lot of questions that would be asked. When 85 Biff is yelling about how he's the same person as 55 Biff, and of course they're gonna look very similar. Yeah. You know, I mean, like one's gonna look 30 years older than the other. Yeah. But yeah, there's probably a way you can explain that away. You can be like, oh, that's my crazy cousin or whatever. I think what has to happen, though, I still don't get why Biff would be locked up in the military prison. And plus, what it does, it creates an obstacle for ourselves that we don't need. We need something that assists us. And I think it's better that the military shoots down the DeLorean because... 55 Biff told them, hey, there's a UFO, you gotta shoot it down. So they shoot it down. 85 Biff jumps out of it and takes off running and from that point on becomes a hermit. Okay, well, let me pitch you the idea of shifting off of 1985 and up to 1989. And we give our characters a little bit of distance from the first movie. And now Biff is in the military. It's four years later. Can you imagine that same character going to the military? I, I think maybe he could. In his mid-40s? No, the 55 Biff. Maybe he goes to the military. 55 Biff goes to the military when? In 1959. Three years after the events of the first movie. He would have done that anyway. Right. See, what I'm saying is... So that's we, the we, past there, there that we go to. There are things we have to have happen. The DeLorean has to go back to 1955. Okay. It has to specifically The DeLorean be has year. to end up in the hands of the wrong people, which in this case we're making it the military. And I'm just pitching you what if Biff is in the military because it's a few years later and that character that we saw from the first movie went naturally to the military. He totally could be, but the thing is, is by 1985, which is where we're going to end up, that that Biff, he could be a general. Well, what if we shift you it know, to He could be a general instead of... The reason why we don't shift it to 19. 1989 yeah. is because we're picking up exactly where the last movie left off. Yeah. And the last movie left off in 1985. Yeah, I'm just trying to give our characters like enough room to where they could like none of them have jobs like Lorraine doesn't work Biff doesn't work Marty doesn't work none of them have careers none of them have jobs the only ambition well, this is a movie we're talking about this isn't real life yeah I know that but we know Biff goes on to be either a lowly sort of account manager in one version and then a car wash guy in another version in this version Biff has put himself in a position of authority and power is it a military authority he could be in a position of military authority totally I, I said sheriff just because sheriff is kind of a catch-all position to where it's both political and it's a position of authority to where he can have people arrested he can have people silenced but i feel he, like he has he has license to carry around a deadly weapon yeah I, I guess the part that i'm getting confused at is when you say that it's the military that shoots down the delorean but yet it's not biff in control of the military it's like the military and Biff are two separate entities, but I feel like they should somehow be the same. Like, Biff should be this powerful military guy. What I'm saying is, Biff is the sheriff of the town, so that means that Biff is in a position of authority. He runs the town. He's more powerful than the mayor of the town, Goldie Wilson. Yeah. Because he's the sheriff. He tells the police what to do. Or he could be the chief of police. Or he could be a military general. You've got to take the idea of Biff from 85 has helped his younger self to ascend to a position of power. Now, maybe because Biff did rat himself out to the military and get the DeLorean shot down, maybe that's what jump-started his career. I guess that's what I'm trying to get into. And if he already had a lowly position in the military, it would make more sense than him being a civilian. And like, make me a general... And I'll do this, that, maybe, but we're, maybe we're, if he was a private. It, it doesn't matter. That's why I think we don't need to have him in the military. It's much simpler to have him be the sheriff. Okay. Just trying to make your idea. We're, we're in, okay, so we're in 2015. The two docs have worked together to send Doc and Marty into the original 2015, where they have to have that showdown with, with Biff in order to get the DeLorean back. So at this point, that's when you can have a lot of future stuff. You can have hoverboards. 
flying car chases, all kinds of different stuff. And I even played around with the idea that this movie, kind of the where the bad guy gets defeated in the final blow, again, it's Biff getting covered by manure. You can do that again if you want to. Once you get Doc and Marty back together in the DeLorean, now they can close the time loop and set everything back to the way it was. And they bring old Biff with them. They don't bring old Biff with them. I'm pissing you that they do. Oh, no, because okay. once they get the DeLorean, old Biff doesn't exist. We're closing the time loop. But what if they use old Biff to talk to younger Biff to try to talk sense into him? Because you can't have Doc being a time lord who goes and handcuffs Biff and is like, you're coming back to the past with me. Like You've got to reason with him and talk sensibly to him. You're not going to police him. No, because the funny thing that ends up happening is 1985 Biff first gets stuck in 1955 and then in this ending, 1985 Biff gets stuck in 2015. Because Doc and Marty are in the DeLorean. Doc sits there and flies the DeLorean, gets it up to 88 miles per hour. You have the whole time jump. But this time what happens is, when the time jump happens, that's when it goes to Doc stepping out of his portal. He's back in his lab, 1985. The dog, Einstein, is there. Camera mounted on top of his head. He looks down at his watch. It's now 10.55 p.m. on whatever date he, it is that he says. He runs outside, he starts looking, and it's the same Hill Valley, 1985, that he left. And he realizes that everything that he did, it worked, he solved it, bam. Can I do my impression of you pitching Back to the Future ideas? Do whatever you want, man. All right. Doc goes back to the day that Biff Tannen was born, steals him out of his crib, go, takes him to the year 2085 in the desert, leaves him in the desert and says, good luck, kid. And he dies, and <laughs> baby Biff dies in the desert and never causes any trouble. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's my impression of you, how dark your stuff gets. You just want to murder people in the most cruel way possible. But you're not murdering anybody. <laughs> like, you're, what you're doing is you're rendering Biff impotent. Because you took 1985 Biff, uh -huh. who took himself into the future, and then you turn around and you go back. I mean, if you want to make it to where they do take, like, they incapacitate Biff, they get him into the DeLorean, and then they go back. But the problem that you're going to have is that once they undo all of those events, Doc never steps into that other world. So everybody is just basically blinked know, out of but existence Doc, but because he erases the whole paradox that created the I world know. that he was in anyway. Agreed, but old Biff is just there to talk to young Biff. Like, what you're forgetting is the central premise of this. The thing that explains it all is that we're following around a Doc who's been time displaced. Mm -hmm. When Biff stole the DeLorean, he displaced Doc because Doc was outside of the timeline when he stepped into his portal and came back out. The only person who sees things the way that Doc sees them is old Biff, who I'm trying to bring with us, and you won't let me. He's old not Biff time doesn't displaced. exist. Old Biff exists? Old Biff does not exist because he never goes back to 1955. Once they get the DeLorean from him in 2015 and the corrected timeline... Yes. But getting it he, from Old him. Biff never exists. I'm talking about before that, when they're trying to okay, get it from and that's Biff. 1985 Biff. Right, but when they go to 2015, there's a whole sequence where they're there, but they don't have the DeLorean yet. That's right. And when I'm they at. get the DeLorean back from but 1985 I'm, Biff. But I'm before that. That's later. They go to 2015, then they've got to find Biff. Once they, they just immediately land right in his lap as soon as they go to 2015. Oh God. What? <sighs> Jesus Christ, man. We're at okay. the very end of the movie. And I'm just telling you a solution. There's two 2015s solution. that they go to. Uh, yes. So they go to the 2015 where there's an old doc. And right. it's a dystopian 2015. Right. That doc helps send them to the correct 2015 that would have been the future of 1985 doc. So they go there. That's the same future that Biff traveled to when he stole the DeLorean and took it hot riding. Biff shows up. Once Biff shows up, he doesn't know where he is because he doesn't know that it's a time machine. So then they have to go and they have to steal the time machine back from him to prevent him from going to 1955. Because once he goes to 1955, know, he permanently alters the timeline and therefore they would be trapped except they wouldn't exist anymore. I know that's the part I'm trying to get you to elaborate on. So how do they stop 2015 Biff from taking the time machine back to 1955? They take it from him. Okay, that sequence. Just describe to me what that sequence is like. They pull him out of the car. They see him. They stop him. They yeah. Him so there's out. a whole chase sequence. There's hoverboards. There's flying cars. Flying car chases. Biff ends up getting covered in manure again. Doc and Marty get back into the time machine. They travel back to 1985. Only when they do that, because they've now closed the time loop, yeah. none of this stuff happened. Doc Brown comes back out of his portal with Einstein the dog sitting there recording him. It's 1985 Hill Valley. Jesus Christ, man. I just fucking explained all this to you. 
Do you got it now? Uh, there's parts of it that I'm starting to get. Doc Brown basically is like a time cop. He, he's going to go in Doc with handcuffs. Doc Brown is not a time cop. He's going to arrest Brown future Doc Brown realizes Piff. that because of his inventions, things have happened that have altered the world. He's got to go back and correct things. The same way that in the original Back to the Future, Marty doesn't purposely travel to 1955. Marty accidentally travels to 1955 because he's trying to escape the terrorist. The car gets up to 88 miles per hour. Once it hit 88 miles per hour, the sequence begins that sends it to whatever time is programmed in there, which is exactly what happens to Biff. Biff takes the car out. He has no idea it's a time machine. It's already pre-programmed with the time that they just came back from in 2015. Yeah. So once he hits 88 miles per hour, uh -huh. the whole sequence happens. Boom, the car goes into 2015. So that's what they're doing is they're chasing him down so that they can get the time machine. Once they get the time machine back from Biff and they go back to, once they leave that time period, he can no longer go back to 1955, which means those events can never, cannot be changed. But just imagine out loud with me for a second that let's say that you're doc we're in the sequence you go you're chasing biff there he is that's him go get him you're talking about you grab him you put handcuffs on him and then you put him back in the time machine in the back like put him in the back like your okay. time cop. remember in the original back to the future 2 where biff has the almanac and they've got to get the almanac back from him because as long as he has that almanac that's going to alter future events yes. but once they're able to take that almanac from him he loses all that power yes it's the same thing except instead of the almanac it's the fucking delorean and once he doesn't have the delorean he's powerless he's impotent at that point and you leave him stranded in the future yeah you leave even stranded in 2015. You don't think that's dark? I mean, maybe it's a little dark. Like, George McFly is dead in the alternate version of 1985. But this is the real version of 2015, isn't it? <sighs> but it doesn't matter, because at this point, he's no longer a threat. Because if you take him back to 1985, he's going to consistently be a threat. Because now he realizes you have a time machine. You can't kill him. That's dark if you killed him. And they're just like, you are sentenced to execution for time crimes. Bam! That's what it sounds like you're sentencing him to. You're you're banishing him to 2015. Yeah, you're banishing him to 2015. Because what is he going to do? He's going to be like, a couple of buttheads stole my time machine in 1985. Everyone's there's going to be like, you're crazy, man. Get out of here. Okay, so now you don't have him for the third movie. Because he is in 2015. You don't have him in the third movie. So third you movie, have Gruff can... Tannen or whoever it is from the Old West. So, but we're not doing that Back to the Future 3 because this Back to the Future changes everything. But do we keep the idea that Biff is the bad guy in every movie? No, because now you can make Back to the Future 3 and make anybody the bad guy. I would be really interested to get to a point <laughs> where we can finally get past Biff. But here's something. You're I'm so blow in love your mind with here. Biff. I'm going to blow your mind here, okay? It's blown. Consider it blown. There's no need for Back to the Future 3. There's absolutely no need for the least popular Back to Future in the entire Back to the Future franchise. There's no need for a Back to the Future 3 at this point. Well, there's things about Back to the Future 3 that I like way better than 2. Okay, but what I'm saying is we're talking about an alternate version of Back to the Future 2 that we think would work better. Yeah, yeah I think you have to Once keep... this version is made, that means that there's no need to make the Back to the Future 3 that existed. Yeah, but I think you have to make a Back to the Future 3. You don't have to. They didn't have to make a Back <clears throat> to the Future 2. This is sequelitis. You have to do it. I know, and what we're doing is we're fixing Back to the Future 2. That's what this episode's focusing on. This isn't sequelitis, episode whatever, Back to the Future 3. So the first two are about Biff, and then you execute Biff, essentially. This you is don't what, execute This is what Biff. I meant by you go back to when he was born, you take him out of the crib, and you leave him in the desert. Like, you basically displace him in time to kill no. him. Because the thing is, is mid-40s Biff, in 2015, after he's traveled there from 1985, yeah, he's going to be disoriented, and he's got a whole world to adjust to, but it's a lot easier for him to adjust to a world with more advanced technology than it is for him to go back in the past or to take a baby out into the middle of the desert, which essentially ensures that that baby is going to die. I'm just surprised you haven't pissed the version where we go get Biff and drop him in the desert as a baby. Mid-40s Biff in 2015 has a way better chance of survival. Like, this Biff can make himself anything he wants at this point. I think we have the basics of, of the idea out, and I think we agree on enough of it to say that I think we've pitched it. Can we stop and call this episode done and then move on to the next episode? Yeah, so that's going to be it for this, which is going to be the first episode. <laughs> so if you understood all that and, and Manny yelling at me, that was genuine. <laughs> he hates my guts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back in time and take the baby version of you and drop you in the middle of the woods or the desert 
and see how well you do. That's exactly what I would expect. All right. Let's play that. And we'll see you back to later. So that's it for our first episode of Sequelitis. Hope everybody enjoyed it. So you can stick around. We have just a couple of minutes of Matt and I talking about our thoughts on the original movie. Just some silly things that we thought of. What our opinions were on the movie, if you care to listen to that. Hopefully you enjoyed everything that you heard. And if you did, we really would love it if you'd like, subscribe, and share with your friends. Thank you very much for joining us. And what is it about skateboarding, too? Like, how does skateboarding factor in so heavily to the Back to the Future franchise? Like, was it popular in 1985? Yeah, skateboarding was, like, one of those kind of popular things that the kids were doing. It wasn't associated with, like, graffiti artists and taggers like it is now, like, punks and stuff like that. It was like, hey, I'm a radical dude. I ride a skateboard, you know? And you got your knee pads and your neon colors and everything else like that. What's the modern version of that? Well, no, we're not We're not making the modern version of that. We're still making this film in 1990. Right. Okay, so now what we're talking about is just to kind of address some of the issues that we have with the original Back to the Future 2, which was part of the reason why we decided to have this whole discussion in the first place. You want to take it away? So Back to the Future 2 gets off to a really, essentially a really good start by going to the future and showing a really fun 80s-fied version of the future. And a lot of people love that part of the movie. I agree. I essentially love that part of the movie. I have problems with it, but it's cool to see the future. It's a very back to the future. Hill Valley is like this prototype of what American society should be like. You know, from the 50s to the 80s to the future, it's like, this is what America should be. This is the dream of America. And for the most part, I like it. But it starts to get bad after that, and I don't think people acknowledge the fact that it does get bad after that great opening. Well, it's funny because you pointed out the fact that it does start off trying to recreate this sort of Blade Runner dystopian future. Yeah. And then it turns all bright and colorful and happy and everything else like that. Yeah. And it's sort of like, it's the Norman Rockwell kind of like prototypical, like mm -hmm. smiling, happy America. American, you know, public, right? But they're in '80s fashions, updated for 2015. <laughs> it's what it's what people in yeah. the early '90s, late <laughs> '80s thought 2015 would look like, right? Just based on the things that they were looking at right in front of them. Yeah, they thought that the '80s fashion sense would never change. It would just grow and grow and grow until everyone was wearing like sharp outfits and every every fabric and every surface was shiny, see-through ties and double ties. <laughs> There'd be yeah. 80s cafes instead of 50s cafes. Yeah, and I think the next big revolution after the, the whole 80s ultra clean look, or whatever you want to call it, was like the, the whole grunge movement. The problem of issues that the movie starts to run into is this is the perfect example of sequelitis. They had to make a Back to the Future 2. They had no good story ideas for Back to the Future 2. So they said, we'll just do Back to the Future, Back to the Well. And so they went and they, back recreated, to the well. they recreated so many sequels. <laughs> sequences from the first movie yeah there's the whole sequence where marty steals a little scooter turns it into a skateboard he does that with the hoverboard like that's almost beat for beat the exact same scene yeah and it's trying to be reminiscent of the first movie yeah and that's what it's going for and then you have this whole thing where they basically do a nutty professor but with marty mcfly michael j fox playing different roles there's a whole lot of contrivances that that just don't make sense and that's not even getting into the plot issues in back to the future 2 you spend the first third of the movie movie on a B-plot, and then the rest of the movie is a B-plot to the A-plot of the first movie. So this is a movie that doesn't have its own A-plot. Yeah, I agree. It's sort of like running in between the seams of other movies and other events, and being on the fringe of those other things. They refuse to acknowledge the fact that they're burdened with a character that shouldn't have been there in the first place, with the character of Jennifer. She spends the majority of the movie being knocked out. There's also a really big paradox that I've never heard anyone own up to and Manny was talking about this and I've definitely talked about it a lot but it's the one where Biff goes back to 1955 to give himself the sports almanac but then he returns the time machine to 2015 where he picked it up the same street corner he picked it up but he just breaks off his cane and leaves it in there and then leaves the sports so he does everything so tidy except for leaving his cane and the, the evidence of everything that he did in the machine and he's also dying somehow 
<laughs> yeah. Well, they're trying to say that he killed himself by altering the timeline, and he wouldn't be alive in 2015, and that's why he's dying. But he shouldn't even be in that timeline. He should be in an all-new timeline. Yeah, because here's the issue with it. What, about 20 minutes later in Back to the Future 2? Doc Brown says that it's impossible for them to do what we just witnessed Biff doing. Right. And it's completely illogical because, first of all, let's, let's assume that somehow Biff can travel to 1955 and then immediately return where he just left in 2015. Right. By the fact that he travels back to 1955, that makes it impossible because that 2015 no longer exists. Right. Once he goes back to 1955. Right. What should happen is 2015 should be transformed around Doc and Marty to where it's alternate 2015. Well, it wouldn't even be like transformed around them in sort of the way that they try to show in the first movie where he's looking at a photograph and, and people slowly start disappearing out of the photograph. Because the thing is, is these changes would be instantaneous for people that live in the future because you're talking about events that happened 30 years in the past. With Biff, first of all, it doesn't make sense that even if Biff could go back to 2015, why would he return to the exact same spot and deliver the DeLorean back to Doc and Marty when they could just use the the DeLorean to undo all the things he just did to benefit himself. That doesn't make any sense at all. There's no reason why the character's motivation would be for that. Second of all, the movie explains that they cannot go back to that point in the future because that point in the future no longer exists. Once Biff goes back to 1955, it permanently alters the timeline right. so that they cannot return. Even if you were to make the argument that, well, it's an alternate timeline that's been created, Biff, by traveling back to 1955, is now in that alternate timeline. He's now split off on that branch of the timeline. There's no way for him to jump to right. 2015 where he just came from. Yeah, we agree on that. Yeah, that's essentially what we tried to address in this version of Back to the Future 2. It is that Biff does go back, permanently alters the timeline. The only person who's aware of it is Doc, because Doc went through the portal, which put him outside of the timeline. So essentially, Doc is displaced in time. And then when they do travel to 2015, it's not the same 2015 that Biff traveled to. So they have to get future alternate Doc to send them to the correct 2015 which he's able to do because of time aura that's that's around original 1985 doc. Well, I don't think we should go with the time aura angle of it, but I don't think that's important right now. I, think, well, I can't think of a better name for it. <laughs> well, no, no, that's not the essence of, of what he would be using. The essence of what he would be using is the idea that there is one true timeline and now this alternate one has been created. And something I keep thinking about is what I'm referring to as like a time bubble. The fact that there's a Biff... I'm gonna write this down just to For those of it. you uh, listening at home right now, Matt is uh, drawing out a graph for me. Kind of the same way that Doc in Back to the Future 2 uses his chalkboard to illustrate to Marty that what we just saw in Back to the Future 2 is impossible. Correct. Now, 2015. Now, Biff from 1985 does travel to 2015 because that's where we travel to stop him. We haven't totally agreed upon why he goes there or what he gets while he's there, but we know that he goes there before he goes back to 19. Well, the reason 55. why, just to clarify, and I feel like I did explain it before, if you listen back to it, you'll hear. The reason why Biff in 1985, once he takes the DeLorean, the reason why he goes to 2015, Biff doesn't realize he's in a time machine. And just like when Marty jumped into the DeLorean at the beginning of Back to the Future 1, and he's being chased by the Iranians, he doesn't realize once he hits 88 miles per hour, he's automatically going to activate the flux capacitor, sending himself into the future. That's yeah. the same thing that happens with Biff. I know. Biff doesn't know it's a time machine. He knows it's a hot rod, and so he takes it out, he's tearing ass, he hits 88 miles per hour. The time is set so that he returns to the time that they just came back from. So he jumps himself into 2015. Right, I guess what I'm saying... At that point he realizes, he spends enough time there to realize he's in the future, that he's got a time machine, figures out that he can program it to send him back to 1955, and then goes back to 1955. So that's the time bubble. Which is another issue with Back to the Future 2, is Biff somehow magically knows how how to operate the DeLorean time machine in 2015, even though he's only seen it once before and he has no idea how it works. All right, so check out my graph. I think I'm ready to, to illustrate what it is I'm trying to say. So this is our original timeline, and here's Biff in the original timeline. When he goes to the future, he goes to the original timeline 
future because he hasn't altered anything. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's where he goes first is here. Which prevents that paradox that we have in the original Back to the Future 2. And this is where he causes a time shift. But these two timelines are still running parallel all the way to 2015. So I'm thinking that as long as Doc, before this timeline, the original timeline ends in 2015, there's a shutoff period where anytime before that, if you could shift into the right dimension, you could shift into this timeline, as long as you can exist parallel with it. So that's my theory that I'm going with. So not time or, but the idea that there's an original timeline, there's an alternate timeline, and there's not a million, there's just the original one and the one we're in now. And yeah. so just by shifting into the other one, then we're there. Yeah, what we're going to assume is that in this movie's reality, that there's only one time machine, and so only that time machine is able to create alternate timelines. Which is why Doc is the only other person, because we have two Docs, Doc is the only other person who is able to move a person from one timeline to another timeline. Right, but we're there not... There are only two timelines that exist, right, but we're and he's the only one who knows how to manipulate them. about what's wrong with Back to the Future 2. That's the purpose of this particular recording. Yeah. So what is the problem with Back to the Future 2? So that's that whole sequence is a problem. The timeline that Biff comes back to couldn't exist. Then they go back to 1985 to the Donald Trump 1985, which I enjoyed that sequence more than I have in the past. And Manny was pointing out how dark it is and how hilariously dark it is. And it is hilariously dark. What all happens in the super dark Back to the Future 2? that actually exists. George McFly was murdered by Biff, as we find out. Biff is this like ultra powerful, has made Lorraine get a boob job. He's got two girls in the jacuzzi. He's he's like the king of this town. He yeah, has taken over a, the courthouse. He's a rich philanderer. He uses his money to, to wield influence. He, he says that he controls the police, which is why he was able to get away with murdering George McFly. And he did so, so that he could end up with Lorraine McFly. <laughs> essentially become Marty's stepfather, which as Doc puts it, they're not in hell, but they're they're in a situation that's as close to being in hell as they can get. Which that's one of the only good things about Back to the Future, and that's why I propose the story that, that you and I have been talking about, which is what if they step right into an alternate version of their reality, yeah. and they realize something's gone wrong, and then they have to spend the whole movie trying to figure out how to fix the whole thing. Yeah, and we agree and on that. And plus what we do is we escape the whole contrived paradox of how do you return to a timeline that you just destroyed <laughs> right yeah so we agree on that part yeah and then we also i do like the end i think manny does to the end where doc gets struck by lightning gets sent back to the past marty gets that letter He's like i didn't think anyone would be here i guess i lost that yeah bet. that's that's a great little sequence and what that sequence really does is it, is it recaptures the magic of the first film it does when you see einstein disappear and then instantaneously just come back you're sitting there watching that and you're like wait a minute what just happened and you see marty mcfly is all like doc where did he go and all of that whole sequence happened you do have a little bit of that with the ending to back to the future too. That's one of the few things that this movie did right. Yeah. One of the other things that I really wanted to do and the big issue that I have with Back to the Future 2 is that it does spend so much time just recreating the first movie and it gets extremely lazy in the last third of the movie because you end up going from scene to scene to scene where the characters are following the story exactly as it occurred in the first movie. That part I don't like. It's completely unnecessary and it doesn't make sense why any of that happens. Alright, so I think we established what it is that we don't like about the first one. Signing off, Matt. Thank you. Yep, see ya.